Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 1 to kick off. This is right where you're going to begin the reading this week that starts tomorrow. And each week as you hear from one of our pastors, as we share from God's word, the message is going to come from a section of scripture that you'll be reading that following week. And so it'll even reinforce what you're reading as we're sharing from God's word. And this week is exactly uh, the same as we're spending time in Joshua. As we get ready to do that, I want to talk to you for just a moment about why epic, why God-sized stories. And here's why, because God's word is ultimately the unfolding story of God. It's his story, and it's his story that begins in Genesis and ends in Revelation. It's not just a bunch of random books and and, and different uh, documents that are brought together and letters that have been assembled over thousands of years. It's one story that has been woven together by the Holy Spirit, who's the divine author of Scripture. It's God's unfolding story. And when you read these stories and when you read the Scriptures, what you see is how ordinary people encounter an extraordinary God and how amazing things take place when that happens. Sometimes we begin to read and we use words like heroes and we use these words and we think that people in scripture are on some other level than you and I could ever be at. But here's what you need to know. The truth is that they're just like us. They're ordinary people. But God did extraordinary things in their lives. And here's what I know today, that Jesus is alive and that the Holy Spirit's active. We witnessed it today. And guess what? It is God's desire that there are God-sized stories unfolding in your life as well, that you will see the same kinds of miracles happening in your life that happen in Scripture. We believe that if God is alive and active today, we believe if Jesus is alive, if the tomb is empty, come on, someone, the tomb is empty today, that means he's alive, that means his word is true, that means the same things we see there can happen today. We had someone standing in our service, healed and touched by God. Come on, someone, God's still in the business of doing miracles. That's a God-sized story. Pastor Rick said it right in the midst of worship. It's a God-sized story, and I believe, and I know, deep down, it's God's desire for God-sized stories to be unfolding in your life. But here's one of the problems. I think so often, what we do is we're trying to get God on board with our story. We're trying to invite God into our story, saying, God, you know, here's the story of my work and this and that. And Lord, would you come in? Would you bless this? Would you work in that? Would you save me from this? Would you deliver this situation? Would you change that? And it's like we're trying to get God to come in and bless our story, to change our story, to interact with our story. It's like we tried to make God a character in our story. I want you to stop thinking that way. This summer, here's what I want you to realize, that it's God's story and you've been invited into it. So stop trying to get God on board with your story and start saying this, Lord, I want to be a part of your story. I want to be part of the story that you're unfolding, the thing that you desire to do. Because really, he is the author of history. You know why they call it history? Because it's his story, right? It's his story ultimately unfolding, and we are the ones that have been privileged to play a part in his story. And so let's not try to get God on board with our story, but instead say, Lord, I throw out the script. I want to be a part of your story. When you're willing to make that shift, you're opening the door to God to start to do the supernatural, even the impossible, the miraculous in your life. God, thy things happen when you're a part of God's story, when you allow yourself to walk in that way. And so that's our prayer this, uh, this summer. As we take this journey, we'll learn some of those principles and we're believing God will challenge us at every turn and change us throughout this process. So we're going to read here in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. 
I'm going to read to you these words, then we're going to understand a bit more about where we find ourselves in God's story today. It says, Now it came about after the time of the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the sons of Israel. Every place which you set the sole of your foot, every place it treads, I have given it to you, just as I have spoken to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river of the Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea, towards the settling of the sun, will be your territory." No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. This is a moment that I would call a kairos moment in time. There are two words for time in the Bible that you'll see. One of them is Kairos, one of them is Kronos. Kronos is the unfolding of time. It's the ticking away of the second hand. That's time. But there's another word, Kairos. And this kind of time is time that stands still. It is a divine moment. I believe it is a moment of great significance. It is a divine moment when God intersects with humanity, with our, with our lives, with our story, and he sets a marker. It's like this is a moment where there is a page that is being turned. We're going into a new season. This is that moment at the beginning of Joshua where God is doing something new. And it goes back not just 40 years. It goes back over 400 years. If you understand the story that's leading up to this moment in time and the significance of this moment, you have to go all the way back, not just to Moses, not just to the wilderness, not just to Egypt, far back, all the way back to a man named Abram. Abram was a man with a wife and they were unable to have children and God made him a promise and said, one day you're going to be the father of many nations. One day your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. When his wife Sarai heard that, she laughed to herself. She couldn't believe it, but guess what? Our God is a faithful God. He is the God who fulfills his promises and God kept his promise to this man. And he also promised him that one day he would have a land. So after some time, that it's not just Abraham, but he now has a son and he now has a grandson, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, as they're there, and there's a large group of them now, almost 70, let's say. At that time, they're getting ready to see, and God says to them, there is a land I'm going to give you. There is a promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land for your descendants, a land that you will have. And you will be my people. I will be your God. It's a land, it's a place that I have set aside for you. And so they were enjoying that flavor, enjoying that blessing. But something drove them away from that land. And ultimately, if you remember in the story of Joseph, at the end of Genesis, there was a famine. And the son, a descendant of Abraham, Joseph, he was sold into slavery in Egypt, but he rose up to power there. And all the rest of the family came and they settled in Egypt after that famine. And after the famine was over, they just continued to multiply there. And they continued to grow. And they got comfortable in Egypt. But Egypt wasn't where God had set aside for them. God, Egypt was not their promised land. And I want to tell you that there are many of us that were settling for Egypt today. We're settling for a place that may be comfortable, but it isn't the place that God has promised you. 
You're settling for a place that's less than the best that God has for you. And some of you feel that comfort. You feel that complacency. You feel, and you feel like, you know what, all my needs are being met. There's nothing to worry about. But I want to tell you that it didn't take too long before their comfort was turned to chains. Before their complacency ended up costing them their very lives. And as they were there, settled in Egypt, comfortable, the Egyptians started to grow tiresome of them. They started to grow worried about them. And before long, they took them into slavery. And they made them their slaves and their servants. And so you imagine this people who have been promised to occupy, to inherit, to have a land for themselves, are now slaves in another land. We've got to stop settling for Egypt. We've got to keep our eyes on the place that God has for us. I'm so thankful that we can forget all about God's promises, but he never forgets about his promises. I'm so glad that we can forget all about God, but he doesn't forget about us. And so here's what the Lord says to Moses. He says, I have heard the cry of my children in Egypt, and I'm going to save them by my powerful hand, by my mighty hand, by my outstretched arm. And he taps Moses on the shoulder and he says, and I'm going to do it through you. Talk about a God-sized story. To a man who was very ordinary, who actually said, I can't talk well enough, Lord, that I could even be used of you. Who am I going to be to stand in front of Pharaoh? And the Lord says, simply obey me and watch what I do. And we saw that through his acts of obedience and as Moses trusted the Lord, the Red Sea was parted. Come on. The armies were completely defeated. God led them forward by his mighty hand, by his outstretched arm. Miracle after miracle followed the children of God as they walked through, as he led them out of Egypt. And there they were, and they came out of there, and there was an 11-day journey that meant to get them to that promised land that God had for them. And as they were supposed to take this short trip they get there and they get to the edge of it, but something happens. They send spies out. In Numbers 13, they say, go out and survey the land that the Lord has promised to us. I don't know exactly why they would need any other, um, you know, security in the fact that it's their land, but they said, you know, God said it, but why don't we go check it out and we'll make the final determination if it's safe to go in. And so they do. They send out spies. And guess what? Ten of them come back and they say, uh, no, that's not our land. It's the giant's land. They're much bigger than us. We are like insects. We felt like nothing, and the Bible says so we became like nothing. And so there they were, but there were two among them. They said, you know what? I, I don't care what they look like. I don't care what it says. God said it, and we're trusting him. He's going to give us victory. But unfortunately, on that day, the fear won. Faith didn't win. And they said, you know what, we're not going to go and we're not going to possess land. We're not going to step out in that way. And so they continued on in their journey. That led them to 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years missing out on what God had promised them. And there they are. They're not believing what God has called them to. They're not believing what God has set aside for them. They're not stepping into the story that God has for them. They chose their own story to continue to unfold. And that was one that led them into the wilderness for 40 years. Today, the title of this message is Step Into the Story. I believe that God is bringing Joshua to this point because there's a man, and many died. Many of those, those 10, spy, those ten spies that went and surveyed the land, all the people around them, even Moses himself, they died in that very wilderness. But there was one man and another who did not. And his name was Joshua, the very man who stood there many years ago and said, you know what, they're not too great for our God. We can go in. And God taps that man Joshua on the shoulder at this moment in time, said, my servant Moses is dead, but arise because it's time to step into the story again. It's time for you to cross over and to take hold of what I have promised, not just you, but your descendants. It's not just a promise that is held up over 40 years, over 400 years. 
it's time for you to step into the story. And I believe, church, for many of you, for many of us, it's time for us to get up, to shake off the complacency and to step into the story that God has for us. And so today I'm gonna talk to you on just a few lessons on how to prepare yourself this summer to step into the story to step into the story that God has for you. It's a story that I know will be met by the supernatural move of God in your life, in your story, in your family, but you gotta be prepared. And so we see in the first few chapters of Joshua, it's all about preparation. It's all about how they prepare themselves to enter in, to step in, to go in and possess that which God has promised them long ago. And so how do we prepare ourselves to experience all that God has for us in our lives, to enter into his story? There are a few things that you need. The first and the most important, and we can't emphasize it enough, is obedience. Courageous obedience to God. There's a quote that I love, and I believe it's Charles Stanley that coined it. He said this. He said, obey God and leave all the consequences up to him. There will be times when it is not popular to obey God. There will be times when it is risky to obey God. There will be times when there will be consequences associated to obeying God in that moment. And I love that phrase. It says, obey God and then leave all the consequences up to him. You will never go wrong walking in obedience to God. It doesn't matter if someone says it's wrong and their eyes wrong. You won't go wrong if you're walking in obedience to God. And so the Lord wanted to prepare Joshua, prepare him to step in. And the first thing is obedience. It's taking God at his word, obeying him and following what the Lord would say and what he would call him to do. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. It says, today, if you can hear his voice and when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? Yes. And so here's what the author of Hebrews is saying to believers in Jesus, early Christians in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. He says, today, if you can hear God's voice, and I would tell you today, if you can hear God's voice, and when you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts like those that went before you, whose bodies fell in the wilderness. Because I want to tell you, you'll never get out of the wilderness if you're not listening to the voice of God. It's the only, he's the only one, it's the only voice that can get you out of the wilderness. And if you're following after all those other voices, you'll never, you'll never, ever find yourself out of that wilderness. And so, he said, if you hear his voice, then make sure you don't harden your hearts. Walking in obedience means that we're walking in the word. Look what it says in Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Here's what the Lord says. It says, be strong and very courageous. And be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Look what it says again here. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you'll be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. Do you see it repeated over and over again? Prosperous, success, success. It is predicated on obedience. It's not around cutting corners. It's not about walking in whatever way that you want to find it. It's about walking in obedience to God. Walking in his word brings about that success. It's the only way through. And when God speaks, he has spoken to us through his word. It's a light 
to our path. It's a lamp to our feet. It allows us to know which way to go. It's a way that God speaks to us today. The Bible says that the word of God is living and active. God speaks to us through his word now. He's given it to us as a revelation of himself. And so whenever you're reading the word during this uh, reading campaign, you're going to read stories that are so much older than you could have ever imagined. You're going to be reading about the ways that God moved It's not just going to be a tale. You will start to see your life in the midst of some of these stories. You will start to see something you're dealing with at work in the 21st century, and you're going to say, that's just like this. Just like he compromised, I can compromise, but God, I feel like you're saying I can't compromise. You're hearing God's voice in that moment. And if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, the Bible says. Here's what happens when you hear that, when you sense it, when you know, you know what, this is what your word's saying, Lord, but this is what I'm going to do, and you turn away from it. You're not just turning. You're not just shunning away advice. You're hardening your heart against the Lord. And as you continue to do that, your heart's becoming hardened. That's what the children of Israel kept doing. The Lord kept speaking to them, and they kept turning away from his word. He kept laying out his commandments, his ways to have relationship and for them to walk in prosperity and in life and in success, and they kept turning from it. Every turn was a hardening of their hearts. So as the Lord and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you through the word, as you're spending time in the word, don't harden your heart as they did, but walk in obedience. Walk in complete obedience to God's word and what he shows and he will make a way. It's so vital that we do that, that we're able to walk in that same level of obedience. The second thing that we would need to be prepared is unity. And I am reminded of that all the more as I've gone through this week and as I've seen the tragedies that are in front of us as a nation. And church, I want you to know I've been overwhelmed. My wife could tell you I've, I've, just, been, I've just been grieving this weekend. Yesterday, I just felt the weight of all that's happening. And my prayer is, Lord, what, what do I say? What do I say to our body? What, what, what is it, Lord? Give me, give me the words. And I'm praying, and I'm praying over the message. And as I'm praying over this specific point of unity, these are the the few words that that I just felt the Lord put in my spirit that will either stand as one or fall as many. And I think about this because what you see and what begins to unfold in the story of Joshua is a united people walking in obedience together, not apart, that allows them to enter into the promise that God has for them. But in the wilderness, they became divided against one another, against Moses and against God himself. And that only led to death. Jesus was clear in Mark chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. He said, if a kingdom is divided against itself, it cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. There is a need for unity, complete unity of coming together among the people of God. And here's what it says here. In Joshua chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, it says, At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, and they say, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of our Lord God and the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So the people are unified together and they've come together. And Joshua says, here's the, here's the 
command. Here's what you need to do. Walk in obedience to it. Walk together, and the Lord is going to do mighty things among you. As a nation, we've seen how even over this last week, how much hurt, how much pain, but also how divided our nation is becoming through these tensions and through the things that are going on. In church, whenever I look at, at this body, that's why I feel such a, such a weight, such a responsibility, because I count as one of the greatest blessings, not just the mission's heart that we have as a church, not just any of those things, but it's the beautiful diversity that exists inside the body of Christ that is Evangel Church. There is something so beautiful here that we see people of every nation, every tribe, every tongue, we're together, we're as one. But they still say, I want you to know, they still say beyond these walls that Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. But something special has happened here. God's finger has been on this place in a special way. He has answered the prayer of so many that went before us. And he has made us a beautiful picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. And with that, and you'd say, you know what, go in the middle of New York City and you'll see this. But in the middle of Scotch Plains, New Jersey, it's a miracle. It's miraculous what God is doing. And my prayer for us, church, is that God would preserve that that the enemy wouldn't have any way to divide that, that he would continue to bless it in every single way, and that we would bear, because with that blessing comes a responsibility, that I believe, church, we must be the shining light in this community. We must be the shining light of what it means for us to be one in Christ and not allow the enemy to have a foothold of division in any way at all. And so, church, we have to, as a church, we have to grieve with those that are grieving, weep with those that are weeping. There are families whose hearts are broken over the deaths of these two black men that died in different parts of the country. Their families are grieving at this hour. I want you to know, church, there are people that sit in our pews today that are grieving, weeping, and afraid because of what's happening in our country right now. They don't know what to do, and they're feeling something you're not feeling right now. But guess what? We're the body of Christ. We weep with those that weep. We grieve with those that grieve. We put our arms around one another at those times. I want to tell you, church, there are people in our body, their children, our, our first responders, our police officers serve to help protect our freedoms, to help us. And I want to tell you, they're grieving, they're grieving, they're weeping, they're worried at this hour. Their children are afraid. They're afraid of attacks. They're afraid of the way that they feel people now look at them. There are people that are believers that are serving in our law enforcement, and they're wondering, what, what is it that I have to look forward to? They're grieving. They're, guess what? We come along them as well. We weep with them. We grieve with them. We hold their hand. We pray over them. We bless them. We honor them. We love the way Jesus has called us to love. I want to tell you that things are being said, things are being done during this time that people are going to become known by. That candidates, put whoever, people will become known by. There are things that can happen on social media. You become known by. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what we're going to be known by, our love. That's what Christians are meant to be known by. We're going to be known by that. So I just pray that the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit will keep us in a bond of peace, church. And God will give us every opportunity to minister out of that and that we will be a light in this area. We'll be a light in this region. We'll be a light in this place. So pray with me, would you? Pray with me that God opens doors of opportunity, but that we will be a picture of that unity. And so please do everything you can to promote that. Be, do everything you can because if we're in Christ, that's the bond. I'm not talking about a false sense of union. I'm not talking about coexistence. I'm not talking about any of the, I'm talking about this, that we have the same blood running through our veins. It doesn't matter what color we are. It doesn't matter anything else. We have the blood of Christ running through us. It's the greatest bond. And our citizenship isn't just in these United States. Our citizenship is first in the kingdom of God in heaven. 
And so let's, let's be that. Let's be those citizens. Let's be those sons and daughters. Let's love well. Let's, let's be that example to our body. Thank you for, for letting me share that. And I want to pray over us right now and pray over our nation and uh, intercede for what's happening. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we come before you right now, Lord, and we see we're gripped, we're weighed down by the heaviness of what's happening in our nation. Lord God, we are called the United States of America, Lord, becoming the divided states, Lord God. We're becoming divided in so many different ways, Lord God. And that grief and that pain that so many are feeling is giving such a foothold, such an opportunity for the enemy to work. His goal is to divide and conquer. And today, in the name of Jesus, we stand against his scheme. We stand against everything that he set up to do, every way he has tried to divide. And Lord God, we believe right now in the bond of peace that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you today that we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we pray today, Lord God, that you would continue to work in our nation. Lord God, I think back to 9-11. I think back to that, that time in our nation when we faced our greatest challenge, our greatest threat, the greatest terroristic act in history. But as a result of it, we as a nation became one. We became united. But Lord, after every act and every terroristic thing that's happening, Lord, we seem to only become more divided. Lord, what will it take? Lord, we're 15 years removed from 9-11. Lord, what will it take to make us one again as a nation? Lord God, it will take only you. Time Magazine puts it out. Who will heal our nation? Who will heal these divides? Who will heal? Jesus alone will heal it. And so Jesus, we look to you. We call upon you. We ask you to come now to breathe upon our land, to bring repentance and revival, Lord God. Work upon hearts, Lord. May there be a great awakening in our day. And may your Holy Spirit fall. And out of what the enemy has meant to cause so much destruction, oh Lord, we're believing for you to come and move in signs and wonders and miracles. Lord, come and do it again. Come and do it again in our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Oh. I'm going to invite Pastor Rick to come at this time. Obedience and unity. I probably don't even need to say anything else. Because if you're doing that, man, you're, you're walking in it. But what's so important and so vital is also that there is a cutting away in your life, that obedience, as you see what God is putting before you, that it requires a cutting away. In chapter 5, you'll see in Joshua, and you're going to read it this week, then in chapter 5, as they get to this place, they're standing on the other side of the, the Jordan. They pass through the Jordan on dry ground. Praise God. As they pass through and as they're there and they're getting ready for Jericho, another battle, another step ahead of them. The Lord gives them instruction. It doesn't give them instruction about, um, about preparing themselves by exercise or by doing marches or giving them military strategies. Before any of the things that happen, here's the first preparation that needs to take place. It's circumcision. It's a cutting away. You see, the people of God that got rescued out of Egypt, one of the things that then happened is they were circumcised. There was a cutting away. This is a very physical and a very painful and a very personal thing that would happen to a male. But it also has spiritual representation and significance. It represents the cutting away. Being dedicated and set apart for the Lord. And it's something that was required and even that pain that they had to withstand, to go through that process, the Lord was redeeming and using in them. But the Bible says in Joshua chapter 5, verse 4, that he gives the reason why it happened. He said this happened because everyone that had been circumcised before, all those males, they died after they got out of Egypt. They died in the wilderness. But now everyone born in the wilderness, they hadn't been circumcised. And so now it's time for them. And the what we need to understand about this is 
they weren't going to be able to coast on the momentum of the previous generation anymore. It was time for them to step into the story. That required a cutting away in their lives. It required sacrifice from them. It required them to have something in it, and the Lord is requiring that of them at that moment. I want you to know that as a church, and, and even as an individual, some of you, you're riding the momentum and the blessings of the prayer of your grandmother and your parents and all of those things. But I want to tell you, there's going to be a time now, it's time for you to step in. There's going to be a cutting away. There's going to be something that now God's going to call of you, require of you. There are so many that have invested into your life, poured into you. I want you to know as a church, church body, one of the things that I've prayed and I've told our leaders is that we have rode the blessings and momentum of those that sowed before us. We see a full sanctuary on many of these Sundays. We see God's provision. If you're a part of our membership body, you'll see how God has provided financially for us and blessed us in many ways. But there was a generation before us. They didn't have enough money to pay the bills. They didn't have enough money. They didn't know what they were going to do. If the lights were going to get turned off or they needed to fund the missionary commitments. And they said, we're going to keep giving to missions. We don't care what happens with the lights and God provided. But there was a moment there that sacrifice became necessary. Came a moment there that there was a cutting away, that there was something God was doing in that generation. Guess what? We're benefiting from the blessings of it. But guess what? If we don't step into the story ourselves, we're one generation removed. I don't want to tell you what's coming a week from today, but it's the saddest verse of scripture. Because it says when Joshua died, the people no longer remembered God's works or his power. And there became a generation that forgot and walked away from the Lord. Let's ensure that that's not going to be the next generation. Let's step up. Let's make sure we're doing everything that the Lord requires of us to be those that he's called us to be. So it needs to be a cutting away. And Lord might even bring good things out of your life and cut them out because he's making room for the great story he's unfolding in your life. But there are also things, the Bible says, the sin that so easily entangles, things that you have been while you've been sitting in Egypt, how you've been sitting in comfort, you've been entertaining for far too long. God's going to need to bring you out of that. It's going to require a cutting away of that so you can enter into what he has for you. As you pass in, it's so important, so important, so important that you remember and that the people would remember. The Lord wanted that to happen. It was so vitally important to them. He always says it when they were in the wilderness, when they were coming out of Egypt. In the, remember the Lord. Remember what the Lord says this day. Remember, because we are so prone to forget the goodness of God. We need to be a people that remember how faithful our God is. We need to be a, a, someone that remembers when God met us at different points in our life. Something beautiful happens in chapter 4 of Joshua. As they're passing through the Red Sea on dry ground, They've gone through, the priests are standing there in the middle holding the Ark of the Covenant. The waters are dried up on every side. A whole multitude of people have just crossed over on dry land. Could you imagine that? And then Joshua, he grabs 12 men, one from each tribe. He says, I want you to go back. Go into the middle of the river and the dry ground. I want you to pull up stones and put them on your shoulder from the middle of the river and carry them out. And we're going to stack them over here as a monument. And we're going to remember God's faithfulness. And he said, why are we doing this? I'm doing this. We're doing this so that one day we could tell our children this was the place where we crossed over on dry ground, where that river was dried up because we serve a God who can do the miraculous so that your grandchildren can look there and you can say, don't tell me God can't move. Don't tell me God can't move. Let me show you some stones. These stones are from that river. I walked over it on dry ground. That's the faithfulness of the God that we serve. But we need to remember his faithfulness. 
Don't forget it. Journal, write it down. Do whatever you need to do to make sure that you mark those moments in your life that God is moving because he's gonna unfold stories and you'll be so quick in the moment of need, in a moment down the road, whenever you're two, three, five years from now facing something, it feels impossible that you look back and say, look at those stones. God was faithful. He's faithful today. It grows your faith. It strengthens your faith. It preserves you as God's people when we do that. And finally, after they had remembered, after they had walked in obedience, after they had been unified together as one, after they had experienced the cutting away, the Lord brought them to the table. And he says, now I want you to take a Passover together. So before that, they had celebrated and remembered the Passover that rescued them from Egypt. He said, now that you've been circumcised, now that you've been prepared, now that all these things have happened, it's time for you to take the Passover. And here's a powerful verse. I didn't share it in the first service, but here's what the Lord says. And it's when they cross this threshold, not when they cross the river. It was after the circumcision, after the cutting away, after the remembering. Here's what he says in chapter five, verse nine. The Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of this place will be called Gilgal to this day. You may think, what does that even mean, Pastor? That's significant. It is so significant. He said, all the shame, all the burden, all the blame, everything. Now that you come here, now that you've prepared yourself to take this Passover meal, now that you've been circumcised, cut away, now that you've walked in obedience, I'm rolling away, removing all that shame from you. No longer will the reproach of Egypt be on you. It's a new season. Step into the story. And so today, how beautiful is it for us as the people of God who have our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, that to conclude our service and to kick off this new season for us this summer of stepping into God's story, we get to come to his table. We get to come to the table of the Lord. Communion for us as believers, it harkens back to the Passover meal when they ate unleavened bread and broke the bread and they ate it. And now each part of that meal signified the incredible deliverance out of Egypt how the blood over the doorpost, the blood of that lamb represented for them their deliverance. And they remembered how the angel of death passed over them and they were saved. They were brought from death to life that moment because of what he did for them. Now that we have put our faith in Jesus Christ on that final night before he was betrayed, it was a Passover meal he sat at. And at that Passover supper, with his disciples. He took those elements and he gave them new significance. He said, this bread is now my body, which is broken for you so that you could be made whole. This cup is a new covenant in my blood that whoever would drink it would know of my salvation, my power, my redemption.